This is the Reset MD podcast. We welcome you to join in on our conversations with fellow physicians. Many of us in medicine reach a point in our careers where we want to make a change, hit a reset button. Wouldn't it be nice to have some guidance from colleagues who'd been there too and have pearls of wisdom to share? These well-being conversations will cover a range of topics, thriving in medicine, physician health, burnout prevention, work-life integration, practice optimization, advocacy, and support. And we'll just have some fun doing it. Listen in and start your reset. Welcome back to the Reset MD podcast. I'm Dr. Marion McCrary, one of the co-founders of the podcast. And I have the pleasure today to speak with Dr. Nanette Nessel. She is a pediatrician who's had a full career and has started to make a little bit of a pivot, a reset. And she's here today to tell us a little bit about it. We've met in a group called the Physician Coaching Alliance, but this is our first chance to sit down and have a conversation together. So I'm so excited to learn a little bit more about her journey and what she's here to tell us. So welcome to the podcast, Dr. Nan, as I heard you're affectionately known. Yes. It's so nice to finally meet you, Marion. I would love if you tell our listeners a little bit about your story as a a physician and all the other interesting things that go with that. (laughs) Well, my story as a physician is a rather long one because I've had a 30-year career. And what stood out repeatedly in my career was bullying in the workplace. And that actually started in medical school. Now, I don't know what your med school experience was like, but for me, there was a lot of what they called hazing. Mm. And I noticed in anatomy class, right at the beginning, that the attending physicians would wander around in the anatomy lab while we were working with our cadavers, and they would pick on the smallest females in the class. And that seemed to carry over further and further into um, med school, that they would pick on what they perceived as the weakest. Usually that was the small females. And it didn't matter what race we were, but that's where it started. And um, I ended up decelerating because I lost two grandparents that first year. Which decelerating means that you academically um, didn't do well. And that loss of the two grandparents really detracted from my ability to study. And so I did not do well that first Um, year, particularly the second semester when my grandfather was dying of lung cancer. So that put a big target on my back and other students shied away from me. So I had, didn't have the support of other students, which the amount of material we go through in med school, it's designed to be a shared learning experience. And so I struggled a lot and I thought all med schools were that way. When I got into residency, Um, My residency program was also a teaching program. We were affiliated with UCSF, University of California, San Francisco. And I saw the way they treated their students. It was so incredibly nurturing. Their attitude was that they were growing a garden of young doctors. 
and they wanted to give them all the tools that they needed to be successful when they walked out the door at graduation. I'm like, wow, a 180 degree turn. What a contrast in that experience. <laughs> and it was, and yeah. And as you said, it's like, you don't, you don't know any different, you know, you only know what you have experienced until you kind of have this broader view, um, you know, with, as you called it bullying, which I think was a very accurate term for that, where there was this, this situation where there was, people were being targeted to kind of pick out the folks that they felt like may not <laughs> may not have it or, you know, whether that would be something that would be true or not. And when I got decelerated, when I was put on academic probation, I looked at the other students. We had 110 students in our class and roughly 10% went through the process of being put on academic probation and one was kicked out of the class. <clears throat> but all of us who went through academic probation, not one was a white male. Almost every one of those students were black or Latino. There were two white women in the group. But I find that very interesting. So they recruited for diversity, equity, and inclusion, but they had no support for those students once they got in. Hmm. Our class was 45% women. But the women were targeted by the professors and the attendings once they got in. So this is a DEI problem that still exists today. There is no support for DEI students and residents once they're accepted into medical school and into the training process. But that's probably a whole nother topic. So I got into residency and my residency group was very, very close, very tight knit, very supportive of one another, as were all of our um, attending physicians and everybody that was training us. And that was great. And then I got out of training. Well, I went through a fellowship program, which was a little less supportive, but we were able to make it, I was able to make it through and then got into a real job back to the same problems. Mm. Um, the hazing. Oh, well, you've only been, you're, you're not an, you're only an affiliate. You're not an associate yet. You're not an owner yet. So we're going to haze you some more. And then once I was a full partner, it's like, well, you're a woman. We're not going to give you the full bonus. Those bonuses are for head of household. And I pointed out to them that I was the head of household, that my husband wasn't working. Well, you have to submit paperwork to show that. I'm like, no, I don't. The IRS considers me head of household. I shouldn't have to show you my IRS paperwork to get the same bonus that the male physicians are getting. And they later, after I left them, ended up getting sued, a class action suit by all the female physicians. Um, I left there, I tried permanent positions at a couple of other places, but eventually ended up doing locums work. My kids were out of school. I was no longer married, which is a story we don't need to go into here, but I loved doing locums work because it gave me the freedom to travel and get paid to do it. A win-win. Oh yeah, win-win. But it also gave me the flexibility of if I decide I don't want to be here for X number of years, I don't have to. Most of my contracts were three to six month contracts. And if I wanted to, if I liked a place, I could extend. 
and some of them extended up to 10 or 12 months. That opportunity to really decide, not commit yourself for years and years of your life into a practice that had to be so freeing and it was and, and gave you a lot of opportunity to really figure out what you liked and what it you was. wanted to do. It's incredible. And if my kids wanted to come visit me in Maine or Southern Arizona or Hawaii on, on at the Maine holidays, they could. I didn't have to go visit them. I didn't have to be tied to a location. Yeah. And that was very freeing. Um, I worked in some incredible places. I was in northern Maine in Caribou, and we would go south to Canada for dinner. I was in southern Arizona so far south that I kept having to call Verizon and ask them to remove the international fees because I wasn't in Mexico to where they eventually gave me an international plan for free. And then I ended up in Hawaii, which was supposed to be three months. And they kept extending me and kept extending me and kept extending me and was there for 10 months. Um, and that was my first trip to Hawaii. I came back. I worked on the Navajo Nation because that was something I'd always wanted to do. Worked there twice. Um, and then ended up going back to Hawaii to the same island, the big island, um, a, about a year later, to the other side of the same island. So... I was able to see my same friends that I had made that weren't in medicine. So I have some wonderful outside of medicine relationships there. But what struck me in all of these travels was I still saw bullying everywhere I went. People kept telling me that it was the politics of medicine. Oh, that's just the politics of medicine. I'm like, no, it's not. When you give someone a bigger patient load, a lower bonus, um, a harder call schedule based on their gender or their race. That's diversity, equity, and inclusion, and it's bullying. A lot of the bullying that we see in medicine is diversity, equity, and inclusion based. How so? Explain that a little bit more. Well, a lot of it is based on gender. I mean, the more we see women going into medicine, the more we see the um, the older white men in power fighting it to the point where they will actually get reimbursement for things changed. As you see more and more, you know, it's well documented that the more you see women going into OBGYN, the more the um, reimbursement goes down. And it, we're now seeing that in other specialties as well. The more women go into a specialty, the more the reimbursement goes down. Yeah. Yes, it's really an example, not of the furthering of diversity, equity, and inclusion in a positive manner, right? but, but using that otherness or difference or the minority in, in different things um, as, as a negative, Correct. which it's so interesting, like you said, as, as more individuals who are, are in that underrepresented, underrepresented category go into a specialty, then the reimbursement goes down. There's less value in some way. And, and that is a representation of bullying in this case that you're talking about, this hazing, this, this devaluing. 
that's a that's a one that you can put an actual number amount on. Another one is that in a lot of places, brown people are expected to cover all the major holidays. We expect our Indian friends, we assume that they are non-Christian, and we expect them to cover um, Thanksgiving and Christmas, particularly yeah. Christmas. We yeah. make the assumption that they don't celebrate those holidays, and we expect them to cover them. Often we don't even ask them, and that's not right. <laughs> yeah. How have you, so you've seen this. I've seen this on all your travels many times across many geographic areas. And what gets me is the people who come to me and say, I wasn't even asked. How do you see, or how did you see in these different places, people um, addressing it? How, how are you addressing it? For me to tell you how I'm addressing it, I would have to go more into my own bullying story. <clears throat> and that happened when I ended up at a small rural hospital, 50-bed hospital. And I kind of got edged into a permanent position. <clears throat> I'd been there for almost a year. And they were at the point where they weren't going to keep hiring. <clears throat> excuse me. They weren't going to keep hiring locum physicians. Everyone had to either go elsewhere or take a perm contract. And I thought I had another locum position lined up. And when I had, when I got the contract, it wasn't a hospitalist job as we discussed. The dates didn't line up at all. And the pay was not what we had discussed. So it was a bait and switch. Mm. So I ended, I had nowhere else to go. So I stayed where I was and I signed a three-year contract. And shortly after I did, it was primarily working labor and delivery because I'm a pediatric hospitalist. Shortly after we did, we lost the manager in labor and delivery. She had agreed to work with them for three months. She had come out of retirement to help them reopen a labor and delivery unit that had been closed for two years. At that point, she had been with them over six months her husband had since retired and she wanted to go back into retirement to be with him. They hired another nurse, but didn't give her the manager position because she only had five years experience and only in one other hospital. She had been at that hospital before they closed the labor and delivery unit. She went to another hospital about an hour away and then came back and they're like, that's not enough experience to be manager. We'll give you charge nurse. Well, she had a chip on her shoulder. And she decided to take it out on me. Mm. And every time I would go in and educate parents and patients, she would come in behind me and undo everything I'd said. We had a lot of young nurses straight out of school. Every time I would sit down and talk with them, which I did a lot because I was in the hospital all day. I would sit down and I would educate our young nurses on a topic. Mm. She would go back behind me when I went on lunch break or whatever and undo everything I'd said. It got to where she was arguing orders with me. She was arguing policy with me, sometimes policies that I'd helped write. She started throwing things at me. The anxiety level in our unit was so high that we were losing staff. Mm -hmm. They, you know, Labor and delivery is one of those people everybody mm -hmm. wants to go work at. 
They were going to med surge. They were going to ER. Some were even leaving and going to other hospitals. So I went through a coach course and I became a coach. And coaching is all based on personality science, what they call the bank methodology of personality science. And bank is an acronym that stands for blueprint, action, nurturing, and knowledge. Those are the four basic personality types as we refer to them. So I went through this course and I figured out that she's a blueprint personality type and I'm an action and these are opposite personality types. So I started speaking to her in the values of the blueprint personality type. And I have these four cards. And if you look at the, the green one's not showing up because of my green screen. If you look at the back of the cards, they each have 12 values on them. So I started speaking to her in the values of the personality type for blueprint. And at first she didn't know how to respond or what to say. It took the wind out of her sails. She couldn't get any traction to start an argument. And the interesting thing was the anxiety level in our unit went from here to about here in three days. Mm. Stopped leaving. And the nurse managers on the other units noticed. Within three weeks, they came to me and started asking me to do conflict resolution on their units. The physicians around the hospital noticed and asked me to help them with contract negotiations because their contracts were all coming up for renewal. So I started coding the rest of the staff and we would put little stickers on the back of their name tags so they could all see what their, their codes were. And they would go and flip their name tags around and start speaking to the first one or two codes when they would have a conflict with one another and using those values, the knowledge of those values. And everybody started getting along better and that's, just working things out more. That's so interesting. I, I think I hear you kind of getting more knowledge about yourself, but like also that. then being able to kind of read the room. And, and once you are aware of kind of what's the drivers for a person, their values or their, um, their interests, then that changes the conversation altogether. And the dynamic just magically, intentionally magically um, changed just from that awareness and, and being able to understand, I would say that other person maybe in a different way than you have before. When you know someone's values, you start to value them more as a human being and as an individual and everything changes. Yeah. You see them differently. You do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been, it sounds like that situation, that opportunity for you to, to use those skills that you gain, that knowledge yeah. was a major reset to use the term of our podcast here um, yes. in your situation at least, but sounds like that may be something that has also created an opportunity for a pivot for you to help others in that it capacity. It's a huge pivot point in my life. Um, I went through, I finished the training, became both a coach and a trainer mm -hmm. and within six months had opened a coaching business. So I'm now helping other, not just physicians, but other healthcare workers in general, mm -hmm learn how to use this in their own lives because the focus of this system is not just your own personality type, but learning the personality types of the people around you and how to use that. Mm -hmm. 
and it raises your emotional intelligence just knowing that. Yeah, I think that's it. I, um, I help, um, teach residents and uh, fellows about emotional intelligence. And when you were talking about that, you know, I think that that is exactly kind of the um, description of what you were doing and using those tools that you had um, were just um, eye-opening for the individuals that were there. Oh, absolutely. So for you personally, so having, you know, these experiences over your training career and and kind of marrying that with this opportunity that you've had to kind of look in different places. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how, how all this has affected you in terms of what helps keep you in this game of medicine and keep you well um, in doing these things and being able to share this information with others. Well, I, I not only coach individuals, but I also coach organizations. Mm-hmm. So what keeps me in this game, I want to stay at the front lines mm-hmm. because if I'm going to coach organizations, I need to know what their frontline healthcare workers are dealing with. Mm-hmm. If I'm not still in touch with what physicians, nurses, RTs are dealing with on a day-to-day basis in the, in organizations, then I'm completely out of touch when it comes to training and teaching an organization. So I still work as a pediatric hospitalist and um, I do locums work primarily through locumtenants.com, but a couple other organizations too. So I'm still doing that primarily on the weekends and my coaching business during the week. It has made me a better parent. It has made me a better colleague. It's definitely made me a better pa- parent, um, a better doctor. Mm-hmm. I was going to say a better patient. Um, I don't claim to be a better patient, <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely made me a better physician. Yeah, all around. And I would wish that on on all of you, if you can be a better parent and a better colleague, then that's really, you know, what we're going for. Yeah. Talk about values and the things that are important to you. Yeah. Those are, those are at the core for, for many of our listeners uh, in different ways. Yeah. So if there's, there's someone out there, you know, we talked a little bit about that locums experience for you um, that may be interested in, in kind of learning how to do that more. Are there um, resources or strategies for them? that you would like to share? Oh, absolutely. Um, a lot of people will do locums and just do it for a couple of days here and there. My recommendation would be if you're just starting locums, go somewhere where you're going to stay long enough to really get to know the EHR and the people. So if you're only planning on doing it a couple of days, then do it a couple of days on a regular basis. Like do it every other weekend a month at the same place for a while. But my real recommendation would be go somewhere and stay there for a month or two or three because you don't want to just get to know the EHR, which is huge. You want to get to know the staff. You want to get to know the geographic area and the people that live there, not just as patients, get to know the area. Like if you were going to go visit Paris 
you wouldn't just want to see the tourist sites. You'd want to see Paris the way the Parisians see it. It's the same with locums. You're making me interested. <laughs> <laughs> at least to do a little bit of traveling at this point. But oh, yeah. Um, being we able to get out and travel. But um, is it safe right now? Not sure. Yeah. This everybody needs to decide that on their own. I'm not going to make recommendations. <laughs> to be determined in that way. In that way. Well, I um I'd also love to hear a little bit about personally what you do for wellness. If, as we as we were coming on to record, I know you had mentioned meditation a little bit. So I wonder if that is one of the things well, that's on your list. Oh, absolutely. Burnout is huge. And they say that 80% of burnout is organizational and that the other 20% is personal. Mm -hmm. It's mindfulness. So yes, I do think that mindfulness is important. I'm not going to say it's everything, but it is important. So I meditate every single day, at least 20 minutes a day, but sometimes as much as an hour. Um, I've got my little teapot here. <laughs> this is one that my kids got me for Mother's Day. Guess what? You can't pour from an empty pot. You can't. So do your mindfulness, whether it's meditation or yoga or pranayama breathing exercises. Do what works for you. Tai Chi. These are all things that I have personally invested time in. Do, find, practice a number of things and find what works for you and then do it on a daily basis. If you miss a day, fine, you miss a day. But you have to get in the practice of doing it on a daily basis. You have to figure out what time frame works best for you and what time of day works best for you. But then I also believe that you need to be involved in doing some form of organizational change because number one, everybody has the potential to be a leader. So lead from where you're at and change your environment in small ways because small steps lead to bigger steps and that all of that can lead to big change so whether you're in a broom closet or a big admin admin office make the changes that you can make i love that know what where your influence is and yes. you know you have influence over yourself but you also, as a physician, as a leader, you have influence over others. It's just really determining what that is and how you, how you can um, impact others. Well, I learned that just, I recently learned that just by speaking to one of the housekeepers on a regular basis, I gave her the self-confidence to follow her dreams and she's now a case manager. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. Just yeah. another person to another person and, and, and having that, having that connection is so it, you don't know, you don't know the, the results of that. You could, the conversation you have with someone um, can be a, a domino effect, I will say in that way. Right. But it's also important to do the meditation, feel where the energy flows. Um, if you're feeling a lot of resistance, that may not be the change you're supposed to make at that time. Uh, one of my mentors tells me, follow the energy flow, go with the energy, follow that path of least resistance. Um, because my thing is I want to blow every, blow up the whole system and start over again. She's like, that's not the path of least resistance. That's not where the energy's flowing, man. 
start start one place follow the water follow the yes, follow the fire water. whatever that might be that energy um, source bruce lee used to say be the water mm -hmm. it's like nan fault you know your martial arts training be the water yeah You've given us so many pearls along the way. I'm going to, when I go back and listen to this before we release it, I'll, I'll have to have to list them, but I'm curious if you have um, a few take home points for the okay. folks that are listening today. We like to call them the pearls in medicine. What are your pearls for our listeners or our learners here at the podcast? I think the big ones are um, no other people's values. Anyone can be a leader. And you can't pour from an empty pot. That's, that's, that's perfect. That's simple and perfect and things that we can remember. And I've found that I don't always know other people's values. I'm assuming them in certain cases. So for me, it's work to really have that conversation and ask someone, you know, what's important to you about this? Have that curiosity. And, and I think that really has helped me, uh, have a better idea of what's driving a person, particularly if there's an area of conflict, but also, you know, when there's not a conflict, just really getting to know the people around you, um, saying hello to them, asking them about their day, their family. Um, that's helped me find the values yes. with other people. Well, if you really want to know your values, your bank code your color yeah <laughs> color there is a url that you can go to it's called it's um my dot bankcode.com forward slash beat dash burnout that's b-e-a-t dash b-u-r-n-o-u-t i'll definitely put that in the show notes uh thank you for sharing that with us and i know if you have a couple places that our listeners could reach you or learn more about what you're doing. Um, and I'd love for you to be able to share that with us today before we go. Um, well, I'm available on YouTube, um, Dr. Nan's Beat Down Burnout. And I have a website, um, beatdownburnout.com. Um, my podcast is not, not podcast. My blog is available on my website and you can also follow me on LinkedIn, Nanette Nessel on LinkedIn. I'm going to check I all those out. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know the LinkedIn one, but um, the others are pretty easy to find. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. And um, I can't wait to continue to have more conversations with you. I think we have a few other topics we brought up that we may have to revisit at times. I would love that. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening in on this conversation at Reset MD. If you'd like to reach out to us and continue the conversation for well being, email us at resetmdpodcast at gmail.com.